and standing as we hear God's word for us this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Happy birthday. Hey, happy birthday to you. Thank you. It's Nick's birthday today. Today, but his was, his was Friday. Let's, let, we should sing happy birthday to us. Well, and Megan, because Megan's birthday was on Wednesday. It's like the staff week of birthdays. Who else has a birthday? Anyone? September birthdays. Come on. Yeah, here we go. September birthdays. Happy birthday to you. I'm not going to sing because my mic's on. (laughs) Happy birthday, dear Eric, Megan. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, man. We had joked about actually doing that earlier in the week, and I was like, eh, what the heck? Sing, get to announce what's this the way to announce it, that it's my birthday today. It's a good day. And uh, last week was a great week as well. As if you were here uh, last week, I got to celebrate my 10 years of being on staff here at Bethany uh, Community Church as well. August was my 10-year anniversary, and so it's been a great uh, week. Uh, honored uh, and celebrated uh, for serving for 10 years, and then my birthday and getting to teach this morning. So it's been a fun week to, uh, just to celebrate and to reflect. Uh, I actually have a question for you to start off with, and I if you wouldn't just indulge me in this, to take 10 seconds and to think about what decisions, what choices do you have to make today that are impacting today or the next week or even bigger, you know, life choices and decisions. So let's just take 10 seconds and just to think what choices are before you this morning. Hopefully you had a couple things come to your mind. My guess is all of us did. Because every day uh, we are faced with thousands of decisions, thousands of choices that we have to make every day. Uh, My wife, when we were dating, she would always say, life is full of possibilities like the stars in the sky. She may have gotten this quote from somewhere. But the choice is like ours, right? Like which of those possibilities are we going to choose? What are we going to do? And when we were dating, um, I would show up. We lived in Bellingham when we were dating. And I would show up in the afternoon. Only did this a couple times. I would show up at at her house and I would... Come, uh, come inside and I'd say, hey, what do you want to do, north or south? North or south? She had a choice to make. North, north, we would go to Vancouver and spend the day up in Vancouver. South, if she said south, we would come down and spend our day here in Seattle. And so, again, all of us are faced with um, thousands of choices every day, decisions that we have to make every day. And so it was with the Israelites in our text this morning in De- Deuteronomy chapter 30. You can turn there. Uh, the Israelites are again faced with choices and decisions that they're going to make with their lives as a community. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, that was read, 
Moses is here now at the end of his ministry. He's at the end of his journey. He's at the end of his leadership with the Israelites. He's been wandering with them and, and leading them for 40 years in the desert. And it's at the end, literally even, of his life. If you go to the next chapter, it's, he's passing the torch on. And he's, he's about to leave. And he's, he leaves them with, uh, with this idea, with this choose life. Are you going to choose life that's ahead of you, that's before you? The choose the life that God has intended for you to live. Are you going to choose that life? And to unpack this, to unpack that simple phrase, we need to actually go back three or four more chapters to actually chapter 27. And starting there, we're going to look forward to the next kind of like this message, if you will, that Moses is giving to the Israelites to help them to lead to this understanding that they have a choice to choose life. Let's pray before we unpack some of this. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to teach and to, and to just to lead us into this study of your word. God, I pray that you would help us to, to understand, to see clearly um, what you're inviting us into, the relationship that you want with uh, each one of us and as a community, that we are here today to, to, to consider the choice to, to follow you, to choose life and what that means for us. So we ask that you would be with us, help us to understand. In your name we pray, amen. So Moses gives them three keys, if you will, that will help them to choose life. And I'll just outline it real quick. It's in your bulletin as well. In, in chapter 27, he says to recognize your true identity. Recognize your true identity. In chapter 28, he says realize, realize a life of obedience. Realize a life of obedience. And then in chapter 29, he says, remember that God provides. Remember God provides. In youth ministry, so I'm the youth pastor here. That's what I get to do is spend time with middle school and high school students. So 10 years, actually 25 years of doing that total in my adult life. And it's been a joy. And every fall, as you can just imagine, it, there's a new group that comes in. It's just a natural thing. A new group of incoming sixth graders, a new group of incoming high schoolers. And so every year, the youth ministry takes on a little bit different of a, of a personality. For example, if one of the groups that's coming into the youth ministry is dominated by boys, which we have a couple of the years that are like this, that changes the demographic, changes the kind of the vibe, if you will, the personality of the group by having a, a bunch of middle school. Has anyone ever been around 40 middle school boys before? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it changes what you're doing. And so uh, every year that happens within the youth ministry, and so as the leader, I have to make sure that they're hearing in the way that's going to make most sense to them uh, what our DNA is, what our vision is, what our mission is as a youth ministry. And so I want to make sure that I'm communicating that to them uh, every year and in different ways. And Moses, as we pick up the scene with Moses in chapter 27, he has invited um, everyone to come to listen to him, to give these instructions, to encourage them. And he says that this is a new generation. There's a new generation standing before him of people. And what he's doing is he's giving them a renewal of, their, of the covenant. He's reminding them of the covenant that they had made, that God had made with them. And he's just reminding them and renewing it, if you will, with them. He's, he's casting some vision for them around the covenant and what their life was intended to be. And so this is the group. This is the group that's going to actually enter into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 6, it says, The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years, 
until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly, solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So before him, again, is this, this is a new audience. It's a, it's a new generation. That this is the generation that's going to move in to the promised land. And he says to them in verse 9, this is interesting, he says, You have now become the people of the Lord your God. You have now become the people the Lord your God. So your identity, he's saying, your identity is in whose you are and not what you have done. Your identity is in who you are and who God is and not in what we've done, what you've been about. No more wandering for you. You are going to enter into the promised land. And so for us, to remind you to see for us our story is that it's not, who, it's not that our identity is, is in what we have done. It's not in what we have It's not determined by what we've done in our past. Our identity is found in Christ. And one of the stories that I'm reminded of this is when I look into the story of John chapter 8 into the Gospel of John, where there's this woman who is brought by the Pharisees before Jesus, who it says that was actually caught into the, in the act of adultery. I mean, she was sleeping with someone that was not her husband. And so they bring her, they catch her, and they bring her into Jesus, and they just stand her before Jesus, and they say, Jesus, what do you say? What should we do to this woman? The Old Testament would have said that she was to be put to death, that she could be stoned to death. And so Jesus, he doesn't respond right away. I love this about him, right? He gets down on his knees and he begins to draw something in the sand. And they get agitated by this and they press him again. They're like, Jesus, come on, tell us what, we, what, should you, what do you say we should do to this woman? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something wrong. And Jesus slowly stands back up and he looks around to this crowd of mostly uh, older men and he says to them, the first one of you, whoever has not sinned, Whoever's not ever done anything wrong, you go ahead and you throw the first stone. And one by one, they all drop their stones and they leave until it's just Jesus and this woman. And he had gone back down to drawing whatever it was in the sand. And he looks up and he stands up and he looks at this woman and he says, Woman, where are your accusers now? Who is here to accuse you, to condemn you? And she looks, and I'm sure in fear, still wondering what was going to happen now from this teacher, from this rabbi that could still condemn her. She, he says, she says, no one is here to condemn me. And Jesus says, and neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. And he's saying, choose life <laughs> to her. Choose life. And I love Romans, right? In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so our identity is not based on the things that we've done or haven't done, the things that we have, the position of life that we're in. Our identity is found in Christ. We are truly free to be who he wants us to be, to be the person that he wants us to be. In Genesis chapter 32, another example is with Jacob. Jacob is wrestling with God. He's wrestling with God. He's about to go back and meet his brother, and he's wrestling, and they're having this all-night wrestling match with God, Jacob is. And at the end, in the next morning, they're wrestling still, and it's kind of this match that's going back and forth, and finally they both kind of throw up their hands, if you will, and it's, Jacob gets to this point. He's like, just bless me. 
Just, just bless me now. I, 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 I can't go on without this. And, and it's not a blessing of saying, oh, I want material. God, just give me material things. Bless me with material things. He's like, God, bless me with who you are. I want to be identified as a person that's with you, God. And so God does. He blesses him, changes his name, and, and God meets him there. And again, for us, it's, I think it's a good reminder that our identity, again, is not based in what we've done or what we are going to do. It's solely on who Jesus is. It's, it's, it's being ourselves and knowing who God is in the midst of our blessings, but also in the midst of trouble, in the midst of curses, of knowing that God is still who he is and we are still who we are, and that we're in him. And there is where we should find our rest. I love the book of Colossians for this purpose. Colossians articulates throughout this whole book this idea that we are in Christ and our identity is not found in what we drive or what we wear, physically what we're made of, our fortitude, but rather our identity is made up completely in who Christ is and what he has done. Listen to what Paul says. I'm just going to read a few of them out of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, it says, in him, in whom Christ, that is Christ, we have redemption. In verse 16, it says, in him all things were created. In verse 19, it says, in him are the fullness was pleased to dwell. In verse 22, it says, we are reconciled in his body of flesh. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In verse 7, we've been charged to walk in him. In verse 7, it says also that we are rooted and built up in him. In verse 9, it says, in him the fullness of deity dwells. In verse 11, it says that we have been filled in him. In verse 12, it says we are circumcised in him. We are raised up in him. In verse 15, we are triumphing over over them in him. And then in Colossians 3.20, it says we are pleasing to the Lord. If you want a great study on identity and finding our identity, finding on who we are in Christ, go to Colossians. Go this week, study Colossians. You'll be encouraged. You'll be reminded again that our identity and who we are is found in Christ. Our identity is often shaped by the choices that we make around us, the the choice of, of obedience that we learn in chapter 28. So obedience, when I say that word, I know some of us like, ah, we start to cringe, like in church. It's like, oh, here we go. Now he's going to tell me. Now he's going to say that I have to do all these things, that the Bible's full of a list of things that we should and shouldn't do. Here we go. But hold on for, for a minute before you jump there. When I often take uh, students on a trip, uh, when we go somewhere, for, especially if it's like a group of student leaders, and we go on a retreat somewhere, we go to a surf somewhere, I often challenge them with a, to take on a Bible verse. Like, hey, this weekend I want you to memorize this passage. And one that we've done a few times is Psalms chapter 1. And Psalms chapter 1, I think, helps us to understand, to get a little bit of a glimpse of this picture of what it means when we say this obedience that we're called into. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. 
When I read that passage and meditate on it and reflect on it, my obedience comes from out of my heart and my love for Christ. Not out of a sense of like I've got to do these certain things to, be, to get the heart of God, to please the heart of God. When I read that and I think about being planted, a tree that's planted, that's nourishing, that's producing fruit, that comes from my heart saying I'm just, I just want to be with Jesus. I want to be with him. And so when, my, when I think of this word obedience, I want to go to where is my heart? Is my heart in a place where I just want to love Jesus and be connected to him? be rooted in him, producing fruit from out of my life because I'm just being with him and in love with him. And so it's not out of just duty of like, oh, I've got to do this because this is what the Bible says and this is what, oh, being a Christian is about is doing these things. Man, I look at this passage and I'm like reminded that is my heart there? Am I in the place to where I want to just connect and worship and love Jesus? So I'm, I'm, uh, my life is um, surrounded by by girls, by daughters. I have four daughters in my, in my life. And so when I was thinking about this illustration to, to help us with the, again with this idea of obedience, I went to Cinderella, uh, the story of Cinderella. And, and as I was giving this uh, illustration to my wife the other night, she's like, Nick, not everyone's gonna know that whole story. They know the story of Cinderella, but they don't know this example. So I have to unpack it a little bit for you here because for me, it's like secondhand. I know the story of Cinderella. I could sing the song, right? I mean, it's like, it's so much a part of my day and so a part of my, it really is. It's really sad. Um, but, and so there's this one scene in Cinderella where the invitation has come to go to the ball. And uh, Cinderella's thinking, I see, I almost said Belle. I was getting my stories confused a little bit. Um, but Cinderella's like, I'm, I, I got this invitation. I, I, I'm included in this. And the stepmother, she's like, well, yes, if you can find something appropriate to wear and, and if you can get the chores done, you know, if you can do all the laundry and mop the floor and get all these things done, if. And she's like, okay, Cinderella's so excited. She's thinking she's going and off she goes to get ready. And the stepsisters are like, what? Were you, what? You know, why are you letting her go? And the stepmother says, well, if. And the sister's like, oh, if, right? And so if you go with me now to this next chapter, you see Moses, it says an interesting uh, thing to the Israelites. He says in verses, um, chapter, chapter 28, verse 1, and in 15, he says in chapter, verse 1, he says, if you obey, and then in verse 15, if you do not obey, and he lists all the blessings and he lists all the curses that happen. And I think a little bit that's implied with Moses is like, if you obey, realizing that as much as we have that heart that says, I just want to be in and be with Jesus and I want to honor him and I get it, my identity is focused on Jesus, that there's still this challenge within us to, to, to fully obey, to fully to live into that. And so I think Moses, he, he's, he gets this and he knows because of their own history, right? He knows where he's been with these people the last 40 years. I'm reminded of the story in Numbers 25. It's a little gruesome, but in Numbers 25, the Israelites are camped out there with the Moabites. And while they're there, they're again, they're not supposed to be in, uh, engaging with these people relationally or uh, and worshiping their, their gods. But listen to what it says. It says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women. Check. Okay, disobedience. <laughs> Who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. Check. Disobedience. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. 
So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So Moses is like, if, but knowing that even in their own history already, that they have struggled with this idea of obedience. The story continues. It's a very interesting um, story in that there's this man, an Israelite, who even though after this um, sentence, if you will, has been, has been cast out, and, and it, Moses and some of the other leaders, some of the other priests, they're, they're actually crying. It says they're crying. They're sitting outside their tent, and they're mourning that this has happened, and that, that God has sent judgment, and they're, and, they're, and, and they're crying. And this man, this Israelite man, out of just pure disobedience, uh, he parades it, it, almost his, this woman. He, he takes this Moabite woman, and he walks right by them with her, hand in hand, and takes her into his tent. Well, this priest, he gets, he just is, is just irritated, he's just mad, he's righteously angered, and he takes his spear, and he, he says, he gets up, he takes his spear, and he walks into the tent where they're lying, and he takes his spear, and he, and he puts it right through both of them, and, 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 and God's judgment then ceases. And I'm just like, man, there is some serious consequence there to that disobedience. But I, I, and I want to pause here and say that when we look at a text like this, so it says 24,000 24, men, Israelites, were, were put to death then. That as, you're, as a youth pastor here, let me just say this to you. that as, We don't have time now to go into all of that and unpack this and look at God's judgment and some of this. But know that our youth ministry does. I don't want our students to graduate from high school and we've read passages like this or maybe not even to, you know, some don't even look at passages like this because they don't want to deal with the hard stuff. Just be uh, encouraged that as a youth ministry here at Bethany, we look at those passages and we want to wrestle. Why did God, how did this, why did this happen? Because what I don't want to have happen is when we have students graduate from our youth ministry and they go off to university somewhere in college and someone brings up a, 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 a text like this or a scripture like this and goes, and that kid's sitting there scratching their head going, well, I went to church my whole life and I didn't know this. And now they're wrestling with God's judgment and who he is. Just, man, pray for us that we process with this type of text with our students now. So anyway, time out. I'm kind of back into this. I just want you to be encouraged by that. Hopefully that, that is. But we don't have time to now. So if that's a question for you, like, how could that have happened? 24,000. Man, wrestle with it. Think about it. Talk to people about it. Study that on your own as well. It's an interesting study. And so while we, we know that even in our struggles, okay, even in our struggles, even in Israel's struggle of obedience, here was just one example, but if you know their story, they struggle with obedience a lot, 40 years of wandering through the desert, God remains with them. God remains with them. His cloud during the day and his pillar of fire at night still guides them. It is a reminder for us that, that he is with them. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, um, we need to learn obedience under blessing and curse. Learn obedience during blessing and curse. I love this. As I was studying Henry Nouwen's words on this and, and what he has to say in the writings on this idea of cursing and blessings, he, he often like, would say, he said this, keep choosing life. <laughs> in the midst of curse, in the midst of a difficult time, in the midst of everything going well, Keep choosing life. Keep choosing your relationship to go after that relationship with Jesus. We need to learn to live in the tension that life is both full of blessing and life is full of curses of, of hard things. We need to live in that tension and continue to choose life. But let's consider, there's some things that I just, in chapters 28 that we can't move away from too quickly. In, verses, um, in chapters 28, when he talks about the blessings and the curses, I want to just encourage us to think about this for a minute. 
that there are, there are more ways to um, suffer, to have to go through hard times than just because we were disobedient. That's part of it. But there are natural consequences that happen to simply living in a fallen world. Okay, we, we live in a fallen world, and as a result, there are natural consequences. Even the earth itself is mourning, right? The, the earth itself has uh, is, is, is been cursed and is, is in, under consequences of, of that. And so there's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be things that happen that just that, that happen because we live in a, in a fallen world. Secondly, that, that we, there's a realization that we have a real enemy. And we don't talk about this much at Bethany, and, and I think it's rightly so, that we don't want to talk about the devil and that there's a devil behind every bush. But the reality is, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that there is an enemy who's roaring around like a lion, seeking to see who he can devour, who he wants to kill and destroy. And so when we're under oppression, when we're under feeling like things just are struggling in life, realize that there is a real enemy that's out to destroy you that doesn't want you to choose life, that doesn't want you to see your identity in who Christ is. And so know that there is some of that happening as well. And again, yes, there are consequences to us, to things when we choose and we're disobedient. And so if there's natural consequences, we have an enemy, and then yes, there's disobedience, and then there's curses or there's consequences to those things. The opposite has to be true as well. If there's blessings, if we're living in a time of season in life where we just feel like, man, I'm blessed. There's lots of great things happening in my life. We need to realize as well that not all of that is maybe directly related to um, me being like this perfectly obedient, I'm living in the box, I'm doing everything, I've checked the boxes that God has asked me to live type of life. See, as a father, as a dad, I look at my daughters and I say, you know what? I want to bless my kid today. I want to serve my daughter today. I want to give a gift to her today. I want to show her love today. And that's not because, listen, (laughs) those of you who are parents, you might get this. It's not because they were making great choices all day. (laughs) And like at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I'm so proud. Look at you. Look at you. You know, you've done so great today. I'm going to give you these gifts. I'm going to bless you. My motivation as a father, as I look at my kids, it's not always just based on if they're good or not. Because of who they are, because they belong, they are my kids, I want to bless them and I want to love them. And I love that picture for us as well as it relates to Jesus. James 1.7 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And Matthew 7.11, it says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good gifts to those who ask. So I want to invite us away from uh, this idea of transactional theology and more to relational theology. Away from this idea that if I'm obedient, if I'm good enough, then God's going to bless me. And if I disobey, if I don't do the right things, I better watch out. Our relationship with God is not based on this transaction type of, of mentality. It's based on relationship. It's based on because I'm a child of God and he loves me. And I might be disobedient and I might need correction and I'm, or I might be making great choices and really hearing his voice and following him. And, and, and either case, it's not based on how good we are or what we've done. It's based on his love and who he is and how he sees us. 
I love John 10.10. It says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That you may have life. So even in the midst of a difficult season, a hard time, he's still come. He's still come. He's there. He's guiding you, walking with you. He's calling you. And when we recognize that, when we recognize our identity is in him, and that I realize that, yeah, he's calling me to obedience. I need to live into that. But my relationship with him is based on who he is and what he says. It frees us. It really does free us. When I was um, about 10 and a half years ago, so right before I came here, I was unemployed. Um, and my wife and I were eight months pregnant with our second daughter. And we were stressed. <laughs> We, we literally, at times, didn't know like, how we were going to pay our, our rent, how we were going to get groceries. A, a season of wonder, a season of doubt, a season of, of, of wrestling with calling. Oh, God, have you, are you, have you, if you've called me to, to do this work, what's happened? Why am, I not here? Why am I not doing this work? Why am I not in it right now? And if I viewed my relationship with Christ as a transactional exchange, I might ask the question then, where was I being disobedient? Where was I not following God? Where was I not, again, this this idea of like, I wasn't doing the right things. I was like, oh, I was missing it in some way. I would have put, it could have been a very, you know, deflating season as I look back on it. But instead, I remember that season of my life as God showing up and God being faithful and God blessing us and taking care of us and, and, and that faithfulness often came through relationship with others. It came through being in community and the other person like listening to God's voice and saying, I'm gonna go and do something. I'm gonna bless the Steinlowskis and come and show up with some groceries or different things like this. So, I mean, we had checks in the mail that would just show up and people would provide and, and, and we had the means to pay our mortgage and our rent and, and it was just amazing. And, and I look at that perspective of it. I look back and I remember going, ah, oh, God was faithful. God was good. And to grow in that understanding that of my relationship with him, again, it's not based on my, what I've done or what I haven't done, but it's through who he is. Remembering that God is faithful is the third point this morning in chapter 29. Moses, he reminds them of God's faithfulness. In chapter 29, verse 5, in the midst of him teaching and talking to them and, and articulating to them, again, this renewed covenant, he says, yet the Lord says in verse 5, During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. (laughs) 40 years, the same sandals. Hello? We need to have some shoes like that. I'm telling you what, tennis shoes are expensive. Going back to school shopping right now for four daughters, it's like, man, I wanted to buy some sandals that are going to last 40 years. This is good. (laughs) Sandals on your feet. You you ate no bread and drank no wine or, or, or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reached this place, these two kings came out to battle against us, but we defeated them. Again, God provided for them. God's reminding them. Moses is reminding them in this, in this, in this message that God is faithful. God is faithful to us. I think about our own history here at Bethany Community Church. A hundred years old. Do you know, listen, I do a lot of work with other churches, with other youth ministries and churches around our city. This is pretty rare. 
that we're sitting in a congregation right now, a room that's filled with people, that's a church that's 100 years old. And we can celebrate God's faithfulness to us as a community. It is an amazing picture of God's provision, of God showing up that we're here today. Did you know, did you know that when this building and the building even across the street, when it was needing to be remodeled, that people took out second mortgages on their home to, to see this happen? There are story after story of God's faithfulness, of God, how God used people. And there's someone I didn't even hear that his story, you're going to hear his story, Ken's story later about his faithfulness to helping us move and remodel into that old chapel. Just again, even in our own history here at Bethany, seeing God's provision, seeing God show up, his, the story after story of people's lives being changed out of steps of obedience and steps of faith. It's amazing. And maybe your own story, maybe you can think of a time in your life when you needed to step out in courage and have, or have patience or extend love to someone and you think back, you remind yourself of that, of that time, of that story, of that encounter with someone and you're like, man, God was faithful there. God was faithful in that moment. And so when we pause and we remember, we see the times that Jesus is faithful. And it's fitting that this morning we are coming to the Lord's table, this rhythm of remembering. I love that we do it once a month at Bethany. And if you come in the evening, it's, it's every week. Because this is a great place to remember, to pause and to stop in the busyness of our lives and to remember God's faithfulness. It's in that remembering of God's faithfulness that it's, it encourages us and inspires us to, to want to choose life. Luke says, do this in remembrance of me. There's something spiritual, right? There's something that happens when we take time to remember that helps us to choose life. We can't look at life as trying to simply live right or wrong. We, we just can't. We can't live into that. We will, we will be disappointed every time if that's what our relationship with Christ is about, is trying just to live right or wrong. What I'm asking again this morning is that you would choose life. The Hebrew word for choose is bahar. And what I, so I was studying this, the root word of that is bahar, if I'm saying it right. And it means young man. So I think about this uh, uh, audience that Moses has, this young, new generation. Maybe some of them actually weren't so young, but you like me. I'm one year older. I still feel young, even though I'm, you know. This new generation that's before him and said to this, to this young crowd, if you will, choose life now. And if you are a young person out here, you still think, I'm young. Listen, my, can I challenge you? Can I encourage you? Choose life now choose that life that goes after being in a relationship with Christ because it will go well for you. It will go well for you. Choose a life of Christ. And in the result, going all the way back to chapter 30, verse 19 again, this is the result of that choosing life. It says, you and your children may live. You and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life. In choosing life, you're choosing the Lord. And I get it, that there's a struggle within all of us. We want to see how close at times we can get to the edge without falling off. It's like, I just want to see how far I can go without 
Like, do I feel guilty? I'm just going to live this life. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go here. And in Acts chapter 20, there's a story of a man named Eutychus. And Paul is teaching, and he's teaching and teaching, and it says all night long. He's just going and going and going. He's teaching. And Eutychus is laying, sitting uh, in the windowsill. He's got his, I kind of has a picture of his back up against the one side and his feet, and he's just there. He's, he's kicking it. And Paul is going on and on and on, teaching and teaching. And Eutychus falls into a deep sleep. He falls to sleep while Paul's teaching, and he actually falls out the window, three stories or so, to his death. And the people, as you can imagine, are like, this is a little, we're having a little Bible study here. What is this? this is crazy. You know, this is sad. And they all go running down, and Paul comes down. And he's like, oh, it's okay. And Paul lays himself across the man and raises him back to life, praising he comes back to life. And they go back upstairs, crazy enough. I would think, okay, it's time to dismiss. Everyone go home. You know, this, this is crazy. And instead, they're like, uh, they come back up, and it says that Paul continues to teach till morning. And then they all take Eutychus home, and they're like, woo. But here's the thing. Eutychus' name means fall of the fortunate. <laughs> fall of the fortunate. That, I mean, that's, that's sad, right? I mean, the dude's name, he lived out his name. And, but here's my point on this, is why was he in the windowsill? Why was this young man in the windowsill and not at the feet of this disciple listening? Sometimes in life, we just want to be, we, we position ourselves out on the edges of things, and we sometimes even turn and want to go that way and just see, well, am I here? Am I far enough? But, but Paul's, Moses' challenge is what Henry Nouwen has said in, in his writings is choose life. Cho- don't choose to even consider, though, choose a life of being in and with Jesus. And my hope is that as we recognize again our true identity, as we realize that a life of obedience and we remember God's, that God provides, we will more consistently choose life. And choose life today as we come to this table now this morning is a great, again, just an application for us to, to, to come and to remember what Jesus has done. And those who are gonna serve can come forward this morning. And so as, as we come to the table uh, I encourage you today to, to, to reflect and to think on, on your story and where you are in your relationship with Jesus today. And, and if it's in a place of just needing to have, a, a, again, this reminder that your identity is in who he is, it's in Jesus, your, your obedience and, and your relationship with him is not based on how good you are or how, how much you perform, but it's because of who Jesus is. May this time this morning of receiving these elements be a time of remembrance for you and your relationship with God.